It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Inside Sources. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. So good to be with you. And I hope you are somewhere where you can listen. Uh, For the next hour, we're going to talk about some of the principles that really matter. We're going to help you make the news make sense in our crazy world. And we're going to get some insight today from one of my favorite authors and historians. And so make sure you stay tuned. And if you're not going to be around, this is an episode that you want to make sure you get the podcast of, get from our uh, KSL News Radio app. As always, as you're listening, we want to hear your response, your reaction to the principles that we're talking about, the ideas that we're sharing. You can always do that on the Utah Community Credit Union uh, line at 57500. Again, 57500, Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, weigh in. Tell us what you're thinking, what you uh, what is resonating for you in our conversation today. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're really excited to have a world-renowned presidential historian, Doris Kearns Goodwin, who was in Utah for the Sutherland Institute Gala, their 25th anniversary, and she was very gracious and granted us the exclusive interview here in the state. And so I'm excited to share that with you today. We're going to do this all the way for the next three segments of the program. So settle in, get a pen and paper. I'm excited to share what she has to say. Uh, Those of you who may not be familiar with Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, she is a world-renowned presidential historian. She's a public speaker, Pulitzer Prize winner, New York Times number one best-selling author. And her seventh book is what we're really going to focus on. This was published in 2018 called Leadership in Turbulent Times, where she looks at many of these American presidents that she has studied and written about, from Lincoln, Roosevelt, Roosevelt, and Johnson, uh, and really draws the leadership lessons, the leadership strategies for our time. So settle in, buckle up, get ready. Here's my interview with Doris Kearns Good. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about a a couple of things uh, as we uh, get rolling today. Uh, And the first is, you know, we often throw out the kind of the trite old expression, you know, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. Uh, It seems today a lot of people are just ignoring those. Uh, So I wanted to ask you two questions. One, what, what are some of the lessons from history that you worry that we're not remembering or not applying today? You know, I think one of the most important things to remember from history to make us feel calmer and get a sense of perspective on the turbulent times we're living in right now is that America has been through far more difficult times before. I mean, just imagine what it was like for Abraham Lincoln coming into office when the country is split in two and more than 600,000 people are going to die. He wasn't even sure he could live through those first months in office. Or think of Franklin Roosevelt coming in when the Great Depression was at its height, or the early days of World War II when it was unclear that we could ever match the military might of the Nazis. And yet somehow this democracy and the people pulled together. And I think if we remember that now, it will make people feel that we'll get through these turbulent times right now as we have before. That's what history does. It yeah. gives you perspective and solace. Yeah. So in addition to that uh, perspective, I think that's so true. We, we do need to remember that uh, in times like this, there's, there's always been times like this. 
uh, so we do come together. What are some of the other important lessons from history that we should be really thinking about today? Well, you know, when you think about the difficulties that we found ourselves in in earlier times of history, it often had to do with that kind of partisan divide that we're feeling right now. You know, obviously the 1850s, I was on a plane one day and a woman said to me, an older woman, she said, tell me that things have been worse. So I started telling her about, this is just gonna contradict almost what I just said. I started telling her about the 1850s and how they had such partisan newspapers that you only read what you believed in. So if you're in the Stephen Douglas debates with Lincoln and you're reading the Republican newspaper, you're hearing that he was so great that he was carried out on the arms of his supporters. If you're in the Democratic newspaper reading it, you're hearing that he was so terribly fell on the floor and they had to drag, drag him out. So there's a sense in which I think one lesson of history is to learn that that was not good, that people were seeing different facts from the North and the South, from the Republicans and the Democrats, as well as different opinions, and it led to an ever-escalating division in the country, which, of course, ended in the Civil War. So that's when I told the woman that that was the 1850s, was like, well, that didn't end well. Did yeah. <laughs> but we have got an unusual time right now, which we've been leading up to, where the press is much more divided, people are only reading what they want to read. Yeah. Before, you at least had three television networks which had the facts, the same, mm -hmm. even if opinions were different, or collective radio, or Lincoln giving a speech, you know, so it, it's, it's a different time right now, and I think we should just know we've got to figure out how as a country to have common interests. The other thing I worry about that we need to remember from history is that Teddy Roosevelt used to warn that the rock of democracy would founder if people started seeing themselves as the other mm. from different sections, regions, or religions, yeah. rather than as common American citizens, and you needed that bond. And I think that bond we need to strengthen today. Uh, I think that's that's such an important point. Uh, I want to take you now from, from being the historian to now I'm going to turn you into the futurist. <laughs> so I want you to project forward in history. Uh, what are some of the lessons from our day, uh, from here in 2019, that you think future generations are going to be really focused on? We better learn that lesson from 2019. Well, I think people will look back at our time and just wonder how it got so intense. I mean, I read an article not long ago that said that it used to be that people worried more about whether their child would marry outside their religion, but now they're worrying more if they'll marry outside their party. And it just, it, 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 there's so much more that brings us together. And parties don't even have the power that they once had. They can't yeah. nominate the candidates. They don't raise the money in the same way they did. They don't have the publicity they did. And yet people's identity with their party has become so intense. And and parties are, are a good thing. We need them in our country. But it's what Washington was worried about. It's what people have worried about because they can become factions. And I think people looking back will see it's, it's not just now. It's been building up for these last decades. And there was something, I think, about the fact that in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, the majority of senators and congressmen had been in either World War II or the Korean War, which meant they'd had a common purpose that went beyond their, their own divisions. And somehow we just need to instill that sense. Hopefully it doesn't have to be a war that brings us that way. I have a big belief in national service. I think it would be a way to make young people go from the country to the city and vice versa, just as obviously the Mormons do with their missions. I think it's a great thing to just get outside of where you live and see the way other people live, because right now we're just in our silos. Everyone's in a bubble. And I think when people look back to this, they'll see that bubble, and hopefully they'll see that we figured out ways to soften it. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, in your latest work, you, you talk about the, the four presidents, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Roosevelt, and Johnson, uh, some very different, very diverse backgrounds and family experience and education. 
Uh, and yet there was one uh, of the common threads that you drew was that they all had this interesting connection to story and this ability to tell the story. Uh, what did you learn about that? Yeah, I think communication, obviously, between a leader and his people or the organization is a central ability to mobilize them to a common goal. And they all understood that more important than just communicating facts or figures or even just ideology was to tell people a story. For example, when Lincoln was trying to talk about slavery, his whole storytelling would be, this is where it came from. You talk about it historically. Here's where we are now. Here's where we need to go as a nation. And people asked him, why do you tell so many stories? He said, because people remember stories better than facts and figures. And if you look at any of Roosevelt's FDR's fireside chats, they would always tell a story at the first one he gave when there was a banking crisis and he had actually had to call a bank holiday to close all the banks. Right. So what does he do? He tells people who've taken their money out of the banks and they've got it under their mattress that he's now got some emergency legislation that he's passed will shore up the weaker banks. But he said, when you put money in a bank, it doesn't just sit there. That's why they don't have it when you start drawing it out. Right. It goes to mortgages and loans to make the economy go around. So I promise you now that because of this federal law that was passed, you'll be better off taking your money back than keeping it under your mattress. So the next day after the banking holiday of a week was over, they were worried. What if they came in now and tried to take out even more? They were long lines. They panicked, but they were actually bringing their money back in satchels. So when you can tell a story that people understand, why did this happen and why are they safe now? Then it's a story that can, can motivate people. We're hardwired for stories. Think yeah. about the fact that in the old days, people before the written word would sit around a fire and one generation would talk to the other right. and tell what had happened. That's wisdom that's passed down over yeah. time. You're listening to my exclusive interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin, presidential historian, right here on KSL News Radio. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Stay with us. Much more to come right here on KSL. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to continue my conversation, my exclusive interview with presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. More insight right here on KSL News Radio. Here's what I had to ask Doris next. Uh, I do think it, it. I've always found it interesting that uh, after November or excuse me, December seventh, Pearl Harbor, uh, that it was actually Eleanor Roosevelt that was the first to speak to the nation. She had her weekly radio address, and uh, I actually think her address was, might have been a little better than the than the president's. Well, probably in those times, you know, so many people will look at what you're saying when he goes to the joint session of Congress right after Pearl Harbor, yeah. where she can speak from the heart in a certain sense. But the interesting thing about the storytelling that they all 
had in common is they each had to master the technology of their time so that Lincoln luckily had a gift for language and his speeches would be printed in full in the newspapers. Right. When Teddy comes along, it's the national headlines. New National newspapers have been born. So his ability to say things in very quick order, the square yeah. deal for the rich right. and the poor was a story really. Yeah. And then FDR has his, he's talking to individuals. There's a feeling that people have that he's talking directly to them on the radio. Um, Saul Bellow said you could go down the street on a hot Chicago night when one of his fireside chats was on the air, and you could watch people looking in their kitchen radio or their living room radio and hear his voice coming out. And you could keep walking and not miss a word of what he said because it was a collective experience. And then, obviously, when JFK and Ronald Reagan came along, they mastered the art of talking on television for three television networks. So it depends on the technology, but underneath it all is telling people a story that will make them understand what's happening and what they need to do. In your uh, writing about Lyndon Johnson, uh, you talk about uh, his work as the head of the National Youth Administration. Uh, and you quoted one of the staffers who said that, that they all had bought into this story, this idea, this vision. Uh, tell me just a little bit about that, because I think it really shows how Lyndon Johnson, one, loved working with the young people, but learned how to tell a story to them as well as to their parents. Yeah, it made the people who were working for him, and they worked under hard conditions with LBJ, because yeah. <laughs> he'd be there like at six in the morning, he'd stay there till midnight. If you left, he'd be wondering, where are you going? Come back here. But they stayed with it because they knew that through the National Youth Administration, a whole generation of young people that would have had no jobs, no hope, no future, were given work to do. And they believed in it. And they saw these jobs being created out of nothing all of a sudden. There's jobs in highways. There's jobs. And that they were being learn, learning skills, which they could bring to them. And when a leader can make you feel that you've got something that's making a difference in people's lives, it really helps motivation. It gives you a sense of purpose. Yeah. Do you feel like we're losing that sense of story in the country? Are the American people in all of the, uh, just the, the headline and the clickbait kinds of things, or are we losing that important essence of story? You know, I do worry about that because stories take a while to unwind. You know, as Lincoln said, they have a beginning, middle, and an end. So it's not going to be captured in a short email or a tweet. It really takes um, people to be part of the process of hearing the story. And everything is so shortened right now. Breaking news is happening before you've even absorbed a speech that a president might have given. You've got the pundits who are tearing apart two or three lines from it. You know, when JFK gave his Cuban Missile Crisis speech, they went immediately back to the normal programming. So there wasn't going to be five people, even sometimes maybe including myself, saying, well, he said this, and this wasn't the right thing to say. So I think, yes, I do worry that it's so divided up right now, and there's such a premium on immediate responses rather than thoughtful responses, and people are demanded to speak right away, and they speak without thinking, and then a story is lost because that takes time. Yeah, that uh, that instant certainty, I think, is uh, a big trial for the time. And it does prevent us from getting both to the story and I think to the history, to the facts of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So as you as you look at these uh, great figures that you've studied and, and written about over the years, clearly there was something going on in the learning and in the homes uh, in, the, in America that allowed over that first 100 or 150 years, uh, people were learning history and it was producing more great. It was producing Lincoln and Roosevelt and Johnson and so many others. What are we... What are we missing today? It seems like we're, we're not seeing that kind of leadership. Is it a disconnection from history? Yeah, you know, it used to be, I think, that people who were the leaders felt connected to the ones in the past. I mean, Lyndon Johnson's hero was FDR. FDR's hero was Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy's hero was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's was George Washington. But more importantly, I think, 
people were reading history. They were proud of their country. I mean, there was a time when Lincoln gave a talk when he was a young man where he urged that it was a very turbulent time and the rule of law was being violated. And he said, we have to remember the ideals of the revolution. That generation is passing. So mothers should be reading to their children the revolution and its ideals. And you did have a feeling, I mean, even for me, as, as, as old as I am now, civics was a huge part of what we learned when we were in school. And you'd sing the songs and you'd learn the, the government and and it was a part of the importance. And you sometimes you see in high schools, they're cutting American history down to one year rather than two, you know, or maybe half a year here. And I think it's so important in this country to understand our own ideals, the fact that we were the only country founded on an ideal, and we may not reach those ideals. And, and we can look critically at why we're not there, but you have to also applaud where we've come and where we started. Yeah, that, that is so important. And I, I think it was Adams that uh, said that the real revolution began uh, around the tables and around the fireplaces and the homes as they were talking about history and talking about these, these principles and values. Absolutely. I mean, it began, I think it was said in the hearts and minds of the people before the first shot was fired. That first shot fired on Monument Street, where I lived in Concord for 45 years, mm-hmm. the old North Bridge. Yeah. And you just every year you see them reenact that battle. And you know that those soldiers have something that they're fighting for. There's a cause, there's a purpose. The colonists really believed that in, in the Declaration of Independence, when it finally gave them that real push to do what they were doing. So tell me, how is your life different uh, because of your commitment to history? You know, I think it means that you you live with different layers of your life all the time. I mean, I feel sometimes when I was working on FDR that I was living back in the 1930s, and then I get catapulted back to the turn of the 20th century with Teddy Roosevelt, and then back to the Civil War. And just like you learn from your parents and your grandparents, you really learn from the struggles and triumphs of the people who went before us. So it allows me when I'm walking down a street to feel like I'm not just here now, I'm connected to the past. And I think it matters a lot to me in part because my parents died when I was young. So to be able to look back at their lives, which I finally did when I wrote Wait Till Next Year about baseball, and make them come alive, just as I try to make these other people come alive by living with them for so long, it just makes you feel broader, I think, as a result of it. You're not just here alone. You're here as a result of your ancestors. And it makes you think about the ideals of the country more than you might otherwise do in an, in a regular day. What, what do you think it was about uh, Lincoln's upbringing and his learning that enabled him to really embrace what you so eloquently captured in the Team of Rivals? You know, it takes enormous confidence for somebody to surround himself, as he did with his three chief rivals the night he wins the presidency in 1860, and humility to know that he didn't have the experience that he needed. He had only had a single term in Congress and some terms in the state legislature. And his friend said to him, how can you do this? You're going to look like a figurehead. They're all better known than you, better educated, more celebrated. They each want to be president. But he, he knew, he said, the country was in peril and that he needed the strongest and most able people around him. So that is an unusual combination. He had the confidence that he would be able to lead them, but the humility to know that he had to learn from them. And I think partly because he was a self-learner his whole life. I mean, there was no, he only went to school less than 12 months altogether. So he had to scour the countryside for books. He learned law by himself. He learned how to be a politician. So he could keep learning. His ability to grow, I think, was one of the most essential characteristics. And boy, did he grow. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. Much more to come on my exclusive interview with presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside Sources. It is great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, and you've been listening to my exclusive interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin. We have one more segment to go, uh, and you're going to love 
this final line of questioning and some of the lessons that Doris shares with us about her relationship to one of the important institutions in America, baseball. Here's more of my interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, I love the, the the compare and contrast of, of Lincoln, who said he was a slow learner. He was like steel, and it was really hard to etch it on there. But once it was on, it wasn't coming off. And then you had Roosevelt, who, or no, it was Johnson, who's, who said he was more uh, like a uh, wax coming, receiving right, right. and marble retaining. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, Lincoln, it is true. I mean, he, he, he did learn slowly, but he never forgot then what was important. So he could, the poetry and the drama. And Teddy Roosevelt, too, he said, the way a leader learns is by reading about human nature through the great acts of prose and poetry. So literature, I think, can transform people from one place to another. And for Lincoln, it was absolutely essential. He could dream of another way of life other than the relentless poverty he was living in. So I, I want to get to this interesting point that I, I, you, you bring out so powerfully in, in the book, and that is this, this idea of ambition uh, and its role. I think it was Lyndon Johnson who said that ambition was a very uncomfortable companion. <laughs> uh, but tell us about the compare and contrast there as it relates to how does ambition propel and then sometimes how does it prevent great leadership? Yeah, I mean, ambition, which is the drive for success, is essential for anybody, I think, to accomplish anything. It just means simply that perseverance, that will, that desire. And they all had it. But the big difference is from the start, Lincoln his ambition was to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, he said that even at 23 when he ran for the state legislature the first time. For both Teddy and Franklin, they came from a privileged background. I think their ambition at the beginning was, this will be fun to get into politics. Why not? And then they both had life experiences that made them more propelled toward an ambition toward a greater good rather than just toward themselves. I mean, Teddy had lost lost his wife and his mother on the same day in the same house, went to the Badlands, and moving away from the East became a Westerner in a way. He said he never would have become president if it hadn't been for that experience of being a cowboy and a rancher. But it also made him understand regular people's ways of life by living out there for two years rather than the world he had come from. And Franklin Roosevelt, of course, had the polio, and then that ambition became deeper in him to connect to other people to whom fate had dealt an unkind hand. And Lyndon Johnson, as he said, I mean, he was ambitious from the time he was two. Right. <laughs> and, and then at a certain point, that power which he'd accumulated had been not necessarily toward a purpose, except when he was young. But then he had a massive heart attack when he was in his 40s. And he was so depressed for a few days. And then he suddenly woke up and he told everybody, shave me, get this hospital going. <laughs> and they said, what had happened? And he said he realized if he died then, he would not um, have accomplished anything. To, to really feel proud of. So that's when he went for civil rights, even in the Senate before the presidency. So there's a moment in great people's lives, I think, where that ambition for self becomes an ambition for something larger than yeah. that. We've got just a couple minutes left. I'm going to squeeze in two questions just because I'm going to push the, the envelope here a little. One is a, a question around the turbulent times and, you know, what is the character trait that really drives that? Uh, and I'm going to frame that with a, uh, what did baseball teach you about turbulent times? <laughs> <laughs> Because if I don't get a baseball question in with you, Doris, it doesn't count as an interview. <laughs> well, you know, I think what baseball teaches you is that when you love a team, especially when I loved the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox, and almost every year they would almost always win and then they would lose in the end. <laughs> but there was a great camaraderie that we fans felt 
toward our team because maybe because we were losing so much so that when you won, it was this extraordinary moment. And ever since winning that first time for the Red Sox in particular, I now am happy enough with just if they do well during the season and I can, they win more games than they lose, so I feel good about it. I'm not asking that they win the World Series every year. So I'm much healthier about it than I used to be. <laughs> so I think it does teach you that you just have to, when you love something, you follow it. They're going to fail sometimes. They're going to do really well sometimes. And you have to feel a sense of understanding and empathy, the same way I do, hopefully, for my presidents. You know, all of them did things that you wish they hadn't done. All of them disappoint you. But on the whole, the ones I chose were the ones who I really wanted to live with for such a period of time. And you're not judging them from the outside. You're just trying to make them come to life for the people with all their strengths and their weaknesses. And that's the same about a team. They're never going to make you win all the time, but you have to love them anyway. Therefore, what? Final question, as always on this show, is is the therefore what? Uh, as people listen, as people read your books, as they hear you do commentary, what is the, the therefore what? What do you hope people think different? What do you hope they do different as they look at history through this beautiful lens and these powerful words that you've done for a, for a career? I mean, I guess, I guess what you really hope is that they're going to love history. They'll love looking back into the past. And if they can feel connected to the people that you're writing about. So the best compliment I ever get is when they say they didn't want Lincoln to die or they didn't want Teddy to die. So they didn't want to read the end, which means that they have absorbed who this person is. And if you can do that, then you're giving the same thing that I've spent a lifetime doing, a sense of, of perspective and an understanding of the people who came before us. I just recently completed a, mas a master class in teaching history. <laughs> and so and it was the same question in a way that I was trying to answer in why am I doing this class that you've just asked me. And it is just a hope that if you can get people to care about the characters in one time period, then maybe they'll want to read about another. Maybe they'll want to read one of your colleagues' books about the same time. And it'll just—history is something you can have the whole your, your whole life, whether you've got anything to do with history professionally. And I know so many people that feel that it is their hobby, it's their avocation. And I think that's a great thing if they can do that, because it gives perspective and it, and it gives just an understanding of human nature in the end. Doris Kearns Goodwin, thank you so much for joining us. You are both a national treasure and a national asset. You make a big difference for a lot of us. Thanks for joining us. You are so welcome. There you have my exclusive interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin. So many wonderful lessons there. Uh, I have a whole yellow pad full of wow moments and really interesting insights. If you missed any of my conversation with Doris Kearns Goodwin today, go to the KSL News Radio app, download the podcast, give it a listen. Uh, so many lessons to be learned, so many things that we can apply to our times, and not just in terms of what we're applying to elected officials or our presidents, but to each of us individually as we lead our families, as we lead in our neighborhoods and our communities and our places of work and worship. There's a lot of great lessons in there. And most important, we should all remember what Doris told us that, hey, we've, we've been through turbulent, tough times before as a country, and the best really is yet to come because of the people. All right, stick around. We got one more segment to go. Stay with us here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. Continuing coverage here on KSL News Radio on all the important happenings of the day. Uh, you've been listening today to my interview with uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. A lot of great lessons there. If you missed that, uh, go get the podcast. Uh, make sure you listen to that. You can do that on ksl.com or the KSL News Radio app. Uh, you don't want to miss a minute of that. Doris gives us some uh, great, great insight 
on where we are as it relates to history and uh, how it all relates to what we should do moving forward. Uh, So make sure you stay with us on that. And as always, you can weigh in with your thoughts and ideas on the text line, Utah Community Credit Union text line 57500. Uh, Very excited, as always, to have our trends, what's topical, what's cultural, what's happening in the world. Herb Scribner from the Deseret News joining us today. Herb, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Boyd. It's always always a pleasure to be here. Uh, You are the trend master, I think is what we're going to have to start calling you. Trend master TM. (laughs) TM. And I know that one of the trends obviously for this week has been a big one around Disney plus uh, we're 48 hours in now what's what is trending on Disney plus what's the scuttlebutt out there what's happening well yeah the first so the first day there was a lot of talk because one everyone was excited to download it and then almost immediately there were connectivity issues server issues people couldn't connect it would shocker yeah <laughs> as these things go um, and it's just a picture of Wreck-It Ralph comes on screen and he's just shrugging and it says, sorry, you can't connect. So it's kind of funny the way they did it. But yeah, people couldn't connect. Um, but after that, after that got solved, people have been just, you know, streaming the um, the new Star Wars uh, TV show. They that seems to be one that's getting some real traction there. Uh, oh, yeah. Why is that grabbing so much? Well, I mean, people are excited about Star Wars. I like to call right now Star Wars season because we just got that new show. There's a new Star Wars video game that drops this week and then the new movie comes out. So fans are obviously big into that it's a big it's a big time that the star wars community is really excited um and it's got a lot of cool like uh little easter eggs in there for big star wars fans oh interesting yeah so that's been a big that's been a big poll for people um there's also been uh i know there's a high school musical show um which is filmed in salt lake city right so shout out local connection there yeah local connection there and then i've seen just a lot of people this is like the best part of it for me is that people have been sharing like oh i'm gonna watch this movie and like I totally forgot that that movie existed, but like then I remembered. Oh, I watched hey, that as a kid. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like my sister even sh- said, like, "Oh, I'm gonna watch this show called uh, it's called So Weird," yeah. and we used to watch it as kids. And so it's kind of cool to have that connection again. So like I'm gonna watch it. We'll probably talk about it again. I, I, so it's kind of cool. That yeah, way. I do think it's interesting. You've got a lot of uh, older folks like me who uh-huh. uh, who have been talking about. Oh, I can't wait to show my kids. You know this show right. or that show or my my kids don't even know what this is. I, we're we're going to binge watch this thing over the weekend, and so yeah. it is actually there's an interesting family component to it mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to story. One of the one of the things we talked about with Doris Doris Kearns Goodwin was that all of the great leaders in our history have had this unique ability to connect to story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney obviously is the the master storyteller. They are America's storyteller, really. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of trends and and this connected tissue? Uh, that is story, whether it's Star Wars or, uh, you know, something, some uh, uh, Steamboat Willie. I think a lot of people are downloading Steamboat Willie uh, from Disney. Yeah, it's it's great to see the different generations kind of connect on all these things. Like, you'll see, like, the the older adults are kind of saying, like, oh, I'm going to watch this. And then you have my generation who's like, oh, we watched that as kids. And even, like, um, you know, people my age are thinking, like, oh, like, either I have kids or I'm about to have kids. And they're like, I'm going to save this one for them. Yeah. And some people are even saying I'm going to subscribe to Disney Plus for my kids. Yeah. Because they want to pass on pass those stories on. and pass it yeah. on and and uh, and even when I talked to experts for this article I wrote for the Deseret News, um they were telling me that like Disney's catalog surprisingly isn't the largest of all the streaming services. Interesting. They only have about 600 titles right now. Um however, they're the right titles for families. Uh, and so it's it's like the right the right stories that they have there. Um, and so they're really they're really going after those those you know family viewers, yeah. which is good. I mean, yeah. it's it gives you that 
um, Wholesome Entertainment. I know that um, Apple Plus TV or Apple TV Plus that came out, all their shows are rated TVMA. Oh, so, so they're Disney's, gone for a very different market there. Right. right. Do, do we have any early numbers in terms of subscribers on to Disney Plus? Yeah. So Disney announced today they had um, 10 million subscribers um, after launch. So that's kind of where they're at, about 10 million. They said they won't reveal any more numbers until their earnings calls. Oh, uh, of so, course. They've yeah, gotta, of course. Got to keep the shareholders um, happy. Exactly. And, and anticipating. But they um, they did say there was also 3.2 million um, app downloads. Yeah. So that's people downloading on the phone. Sure. Um, so so good numbers. I think estimates were about 8 million. So that's good so for them. Off and on their way. All right. We're going to shift uh, topics here. If you're just joining us, we've got Herb Scribner from the Deseret News joining us here on Inside Sources, as always, giving us the latest trends what's happening online, what people are thinking, or where they're going. I want to focus for just a minute. Obviously, we're going wall to wall to wall to wall on <laughs> on these congressional hearings, on the impe- impeachment inquiry. Anything interesting, anything fun that we can actually uh, you know, get a little positivity out of as it relates to the hearings online? Yeah, so there's actually a, uh, a meme going around right now that I found kind of hilarious. It's of uh, Kenton Taylor, like both sitting there. Um, getting asked like, would they want to have? Do they want to have a recess? And they both kind of like shrug and they kind of him haw for a minute, and then they're like, no, like we don't need a recess. We'll keep going. <laughs> um, so people are using that kind of in the same way. There's this other meme that's been out there for a while about the kombucha drink, and it's a it's a it's a girl like kind of shaking her head, not sure if she agrees with something. And so that's kind of the meme that's going around right now. Um, I think a lot of people are also pointing out just like. Uh, the different screens and, and how many times people are and that they're watching this and like where they're watching it. I saw someone say that they're watching it in Hollywood. Um, and, uh, the actor Jeremy Piven walked in and started like shouting at the screen and then he left. And so it's getting the, the proceedings are going around. Um, how much, you know, I've had some people say that like, you know, people made up their mind weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so I think people are just kind of seeing what comes out of this. Yeah, I think there's going to be some interesting things. Uh, we talked before about doing a little, uh, you know, impeachment inquiry hearing bingo, you oh, know, yeah. words that are uh, dominating out there. I think you, you could also do an entire fashion critique. You know, you've got mm. uh, you got one bow tie represented. You got green ties, bow red tie. ties. If you're a career diplomat, do you go with the you know buzz cut or the comb over? Those are like the two main options. <laughs> These are big. Decisions uh, those are all uh, all big big things. Anything else fun you're seeing? that we should be watching for rolling into the weekend? Um, you know, there's just uh, a lot of good content coming out. I know that Netflix has a, a new show that I'm kind of excited for. It's called Kloss. It's a Christmas show. I think it's it's another one of those family-centric stories. Um, so anyone who's getting excited for Christmas, wants to jump in the mood, that's for them. Um, I'm trying to lean into Christmas this year, so <laughs> I might I might, I might check that out. But um, And there's a lot of good movies coming out, so I think it's like it's a good time to kind of take a break because I know this week's going to be gonna be pretty busy so pretty heavy a lot of a lot of stuff going on there herb always appreciate your insight coming in here on inside sources you are the inside source for all things culture trends and uh, we'll keep that uh, rolling as we move ahead thanks boyd all right that's going to wrap it up for us on a thursday and just as we bring things full circle a pretty tumultuous week in washington the hearings obviously uh have played heavy uh, on the minds and uh in the news as it relates to the nation uh, but I think looking back to the uh, the conversations we've been having today, and uh, Herb talking about Disney Plus and one of the most important connections is that connection to family and parents connecting stories to their children. Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin and talking about history and, and that if we lose our connection to our story, we will really lose everything that makes America unique in the world. I think that's a really important thing. And uh, it is true. Uh, what we ignore or forget, our children may not know. 
and what our children do not know, our grandchildren may not possess. And that's an important one to keep in mind. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us here on a Thursday. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.